You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Good morning, church. As you can tell, we're kicking off a new series today called Almost Christian. And I'm excited to have the privilege to share with you this morning. My name is Landon. I'm one of the pastors here. I've been on staff for four years, and I'm so thankful for an opportunity to, uh, to preach, and to, I'm so thankful for Pastor Trent, who openly shares his pulpit, shares his uh, podium with guys like me, and uh, man, I think today's going to be an awesome morning. One of the cool things about being at our church, which I love so much, is I've really got to grow up here at our church. Like when, when Pastor Trent called me to be a pastor here, I was 20 years old. I was living with my mom and I was dating Leanna. Uh, and so I, I'm, I'm blown away by, that a church called me and I'm so thankful that it did. But another cool thing is that I really got to grow up around Pastor Trent. Now, some of you don't know this, but Pastor Trent was actually my youth pastor. And so uh, it is, it's pretty cool to be serving under my youth pastor. And, uh, and so that's, that's really awesome. Awesome thing, but I really got to kind of grow up around him. When I was 15 years old, 14 to 15 years old, he he began to be my small group leader, began to disciple me, pour his whole life into me. And I will be honest, I looked up to Pastor Trent. And I still do quite, you know, in a spiritual way and, and also a physical way because he's a lot taller than me. Uh, but I, I mean I love our pastor. And so as a as, as a student, okay. As a student, I wanted to be like Pastor Trent. Like he was my role model. And, and Pastor Trent, back, back then, he used to wear a lot of North Face clothing. Okay, it's because he was a hiker. His mom was a hiker. He was a hiker. That, that was just kind of their thing. And so he was always wore, wore North Face clothing. And he invited me to go backpack with him one time. And, and I've loved backpacking ever since. But one of my friends noticed, they were like, Landon, you're wearing a lot of North Face these days. And I'm like, don't call me out like that. Like, I'm my own person. But I started to dress like Pastor Trent. Now, as you can tell, he doesn't wear stretched out shirts, so we don't really dress the same anymore. But I used to, all the time, would try to dress like Pastor Trent and try to be like him. And, and that's really kind of been a theme my entire life. So when I was in middle school, my family, or I, or I moved out to the Gibbs community, and it was a little more of a country, rural setting than I grew up in. So I started listening to country music, hanging out with friends who were, you could probably classify as more country. I, I wore like, like jeans with rips in them, not the skinny jeans, like the ones you could fit like a knife that can kill a deer with or something, like, like those type of jeans. I would wear hats that were beat up and rugged, listening to country music, because I wanted to be like those people, my new friends. And then the most embarrassing one was by far when I tried to start playing basketball. Look at me. I'm not a basketball player. I, when I played basketball, they said, Landon, he hustles. That's like saying, oh, he's got a great personality. You know what I mean? Um, and, and so they're like, oh, yeah, Landon, he, 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 really, he, he can't really shoot. He can't really dribble. He really doesn't even have a left hand when he dribbles. Uh, but he is a hustler. And so I played basketball, and I started hanging out with guys who were a lot better at basketball than I was. And, uh, and so I wanted to be like them. So when I played basketball, I couldn't shoot, but I wore a shooting sleeve. Uh, I had a headband on. You should have seen this. This is embarrassing. But by far... The most embarrassing one, by far, was when I started listening to rap and hanging out with guys who liked rap, and I started wearing flat bills, and I bought a grill. Now, <laughs> it's summertime. Some of y'all are thinking charcoal grill. No, I'm talking diamond-studded grill that was really just like cubic zirconium, but it looked cool. 
No, it didn't at all. But the worst part, and, and this is really embarrassing, it was used. I've, I've come to know Jesus after that moment. I washed it. I mean, if everybody's think it was, just, I mean, that just was not me. I, I did some things where I would hang out with certain people, and it would embarrass me because those things just were not me. I started dressing like the people I hung out with, the people who I was in close proximity with. I started to show some similarities to those people, but those things could not change my identity because I am still Landon. And maybe you can relate to this because we all know this principle to be true. And get this, is, it is this, it is that similarity or proximity will never change my identity, okay? Now think about this because this, really, this is really key to my message today. Similarity or proximity will never change my identity. So let me break that down. Let's talk about similarity. You can look like someone, act like someone, dress like someone, behave like someone, talk like someone, but it doesn't make you that someone. That is, similarity will never change my identity. But the same thing is true of proximity, okay? You being close to someone, that I can hang out with someone, I can be with someone, I can follow the social media of someone, but it does not make me that someone. That is, similarity, being like them, proximity, being close to them, will never be able to change my identity. And, and we all can agree on this. Like, you don't even have to be a Christian in the room. You may not believe what the Bible says. You may not believe in this whole Jesus guy that we talk about who, who came back from the grave. You may not believe in this whole church, organized religion. But you can agree with me on this, that similarity or proximity will never change your identity. Let me prove this to you. Does buying running shoes and going to the gym make you a runner? No. Does going to an NBA game and wearing a LeBron James jersey make you LeBron? No. Some of y'all act like it is when you're playing church league basketball or something like that. Okay? But, but, but does hiking and getting into the woods and wearing hiking gear make you a hiker? No. So then why then do we in the South act like if we go to church and know some Christian songs, that then makes us a Christian. Because here's what I'm afraid of. And this is the reason I'm speaking to you today. This is the reason that I'm preaching this word. This is what I am afraid of. I'm afraid that there are people who are sitting in this room right now that you look like a Christian. You talk like a Christian. You act like a Christian. You sometimes even behave like a Christian. You do Christian things and you know Christian songs and you know Christian Bible verses. But when you stand before God in heaven, he looks at you and he says, depart from me for I never knew you for you are an almost Christian. That's my fear today. And in fact, the Apostle Paul, as he writes to his young protege, Timothy, in 2 Timothy 3, he writes about a group of people who apparently had close proximity with Christians and even had similar characteristics to Christians, but the Bible says that they are not. They, in fact, are an almost 
Christian. So I'm going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. If you would turn your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, uh, it'll be up on the screen. You can launch it up on your app as well. So here's what Paul says to Timothy under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says this in chapter 3, verse 1. But understand this. He's saying, Timothy, you need to watch out for this. I know you're young and you're in ministry, but understand this. Do not miss this. And here's what he says. That in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. Now, I kid you not, first service, I said, in the last days, talking about the end of time, and it started thundering. I'm not joking. It was not a special effect or Pastor Taylor on the mic, all right? This was a real thing. Everybody got saved. No, I'm just joking. Uh, but they're like, oh my goodness, Jesus is coming back. No, but he says, in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. Now, when we hear that term, in the last days, when we read that in Scripture, a lot of times we have two kind of uh, extreme reactions in our mind. And one is kind of like fatalism. And here's what I mean by that. Fatalism is that, that oh, the last days are coming, everything's going to end. It's, you may know this person. This person is always, maybe has a YouTube channel and talks about the blood moons and, and reads the Bible code and, and reposts Facebook posts about how the end is coming. They're like, you better be sanctified or chicken fried because you're all going to hell because the last days are coming, and you may think of that person who thinks that like Donald Trump or Obama or the Pope or George Soros are all the Antichrist, and that's kind of your mind when you think about the last days. And then there's kind of this other side, another extreme reaction. I would call this Epicureanism, which is before we eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Essentially, the last day is not today, so I'm going to live it up and eat, drink, and be merry. So we kind of have these, these two warring approaches when we, we read this in the last days. But, but what we know, is if, if we interpret the Bible, is that when, when Paul is writing to Timothy, he's interpreting the last days as his context right then and there, which includes us as well. Because he knows that the prophet Joel prophesied that in the last days the Spirit would come. And the Holy Spirit has already fallen at Pentecost by this time. And so the last days is not someday. The last days are today. And in fact, we know in Scripture that, that Jesus says that nobody knows the day or time when Christ will return. But he does say to look for signs. And what are one of those signs? We see it right here in Scripture. That there will be times of difficulty. So hear the words of Paul, that we are in the last days and there will be times of difficulty. Now, here's why. Here's what he says in verse 2. He says this, for people will be lovers of self rather than love, people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, and lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. So that's what, that's what the Apostle Paul, he gives us list. Now, as you're reading through this list, and I had to kind of read through it a couple times in order to see a theme, but I'll kind of go ahead and show you the theme. What we see in this is the word love is actually used four times. And I think what Paul is saying, is he's making a point, is that anytime you begin to love something rather than the only thing that matters, which is God, 
difficulty creeps in. And that difficulty is a word called sin. And sin causes all kinds of difficulty. So when you're a lover of self, when you're a lover of money, when you're a lover of pleasure rather than a lover of God, difficulties begin to creep in. We see this in our culture. But he also, he, went, he makes another point here. I think it's really, really, this is, I think, the most important part of what he says. For there's going to be people, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And he says this in verse 5, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. So in summary, Paul is saying that in the last days, there are, going to people, there are going to be people who love themselves and love pleasure rather than, the love, rather than loving God, but they will have an appearance of godliness. They will look like Christians. They will talk like Christians. They may even behave like Christians. But what does it say? It says, but they have denied the power of God. And he says, avoid such people. So some of you, maybe in your mind, you're thinking, who should I avoid? And I think that's a, that is an applicable point because what he's saying and what he knows is that there's nothing that can destroy a reputation of a church in a community like almost Christians. I mean, you know this. If you've ever not liked a, a, a Christian, you thought they were a hypocrite, that's all of us because we've all been there. But there's nothing that will destroy a church more than, than somebody who says that they love God, says that they believe the Bible, yet they have denied the power of God with their lifestyle. That destroys the, the reputation of a church in a community. And, and it's, the same principle that our, it's the same principle that our parents taught us as kids, that you shouldn't be in close proximity to people who have different values that, that you have as a family. Okay, Because what happens is when we surround ourselves with people who don't reflect our same values, we then are influenced by them. So he's telling Timothy, watch out for the almost Christians. They will go to church. They will say that they are Christians. They, but they are spiritually powerless. Their religion is a sham. Their spiritual disciplines are a show. Their spiritual talk is meaningless babble. Their similarities and their proximity is just a cover for their fake identity. They are almost Christians. And if you know much about Scripture, you see in the Old Testament, God opposed the most or when or the people that God opposed the most was not the Babylonians or the Assyrians. The one he opposed the most was Israel when they said that they loved God. His people said that they loved him, but then they worshiped idols. So he would send the Babylonians, he would send the Assyrians, he would send the Medo-Persians in, and they would then take over Israel and they would punish them. God opposed the almost Christians of that time. And in the New Testament, we know that Jesus, more than anybody else, he opposed the Pharisees. It wasn't the prostitute he went after. It wasn't the tax collector he went after. It wasn't someone who was unrighteous in, in, that, in that thought, but it was somebody who said that they loved the Lord, yet their religion was a sham. And in fact, here's what Jesus says in Matthew 23. He says, woe to you, Scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're like a whitewashed tomb, 
which outwardly appears beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and uncleanliness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others. But within, you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So the issue at hand that Jesus is bringing up is the same issue that Paul is bringing up. He's saying that there's going to be some of you who appear godly, but your heart has denied the power of God. And here's why. And I think this is so key for us to learn in Bible Belt Christianity. Okay? Because many of us and many of the people that he's talking about have bought into a cheap version of Christianity that says, here's what it means to be a Christian. Look different. Act different. Behave different. Do something different on a Sunday morning. Sing some different songs. Just be a better and different you. That is cheap Christianity. That is not the gospel. See, the gospel is not a makeover for your life. The gospel is a takeover of your life. Because when you know Jesus, you cannot help but change. You can't know Jesus and stay the same. If your salvation hasn't changed you, it has not saved you. See, this is a cheap version of Christianity that says, I just need to change my proximity and my similarities, and that makes up my identity. But that's not true. That is not true because your similarity and your proximity will never be able to change your identity. See, when you accept the power of the gospel, everything changes. Every single thing changes. Your proximity changes. Your similarity changes. Your identity changes. Everything changes because in eternity, there is no such thing as almost Christian. It's death or life, heaven or hell. There's no such thing as almost. So that's what my bottom line is today. Here's what I want you to remember. The almost Christian is not a Christian. Hear this today. The almost Christian is not a Christian at all. Because in eternity... There is no such thing as almost. So then that should lead us, because that's a, that's a startling fact for us, especially for those of us who've grown up in church and maybe have been far from God. That's a startling fact. So the question you should be asking, and the question I'm going to ask you today is this. Are you an almost Christian? Are you an almost Christian today? And here's how you know. I heard it said once that every person in this room today sits in one of these chairs. Chair one, chair two, chair three, chair four. And what chair you sit in determines whether you are an almost Christian. And my hope for you today is that every single person under the sound of my voice, whether you're here in person or watching online, that they would know, that you would know exactly what chair you are sitting in. One, two, three, or four. So let me tell you about chair one. Chair one, we're going to call them disciples. Okay? Now, people in chair one, they are genuinely saved and they love the Lord. 
So they had a point in their life where they accepted Jesus' forgiveness. He's came into their life and he's changed everything about them. They're saved and they love the Lord. But get this, these people are not perfect. Don't, don't misinterpret me here. These people are not perfect. In fact, they have they have probably a lot of sin in their life. They have some sin in their life. But, but what happens is you see in their life that they have fruit. They're struggling, but they're, they're getting better. They're, they're loving Jesus. They're repenting, coming back to him. They're still sinners, but their life has fruit. Now, that's a church word. I want to make sure you know what that means. Uh, fruit means essentially that you see their good works. Just like a tree has good fruit, a disciple has good works. So you see that they're growing, they're changing, they're loving the Lord more and more daily. Their lives have fruit. Now, a disciple is someone who is following Jesus. They're following Jesus. So, so whatever Jesus says, they do. So if it says, if they grew up this way and they read the Bible and it says, Jesus says to do this way, no questions asked, they follow. Now, a disciple is also someone who's being changed by Jesus. This means that daily, they're becoming more and more like Jesus. We sing that song, God, I pray, make me more like Jesus. A disciple is someone who is becoming more like Jesus. They're being changed by him every day through a process we call sanctification. That one day they, were, they, they didn't love God as much. One day they didn't love their Bible as much. One day they, they drank too much. They, they cussed too much. They, they were far from him. But daily they're becoming closer and closer to being more like Jesus. So a disciple is someone who's following Jesus. A disciple is someone who's being changed by Jesus. And a disciple is someone who is committed to the mission of Jesus. Here's what I mean. Their number one priority in their life is that they make disciples. And so they are, they're very concerned about seeing other people come to know. So, so if God calls them to move to London, if God calls them to go to Mumbai, if God calls them on a mission trip, if God calls them to serve with kids ministry or student ministry or some other ministry, they do it, no questions asked, because they are committed to the mission of Jesus. And these people, they look the same in person as they do behind closed doors. So, so they have integrity, they have character, they look the same in person as they do behind closed doors, and because of that, people call them radical Christians. Have you ever heard that term? Oh, they're a radical Christian. That means, oh man, people will say, oh, they're just, you know, I'm not like them, I'm just really a, they're just really a radical Christian, like they're going after it, I mean, they, they're doing all these mission trips and everything like that. But when you look in the Bible, the term radical Christian, there's no such thing. Where did this come from? Well, let me tell you. The term radical Christian came from people in chair two. And we'll call people in chair two, we'll just call them Christians. Now, most people I share this illustration with are either in chair two or chair three. Now, Christians, the people who are, they're saved, they're going to heaven, Jesus has forgiven them of their sins, but here's the thing about people in chair two. They had a moment in their life, they had a point in their life where they love Jesus more than they do right now. Maybe it was back when they were a kid and, and they were in middle school and they were really involved in their kids' ministry. Or maybe it was in high school and they were involved in their youth group. They were involved in, a, in another church. Or, or maybe they were in young life and they really loved the Lord and were trying to make him famous, or, or maybe they had a Bible study right after they got married, or, or maybe they, there was some point in their life where they really loved Jesus, but right now they're distracted. 
Right now they're at a place where they don't love him as much as they used to. And so we'll call these people just Christians. And here's the thing about people in chair two. The people in chair two came up with the term radical Christian. Here's why. Because they needed a way to explain why their lives do not look like Jesus's. So they said, oh yeah, man, those radical Christians, I look up to them. Wow, wouldn't that be cool to be a radical Christian? I mean, they are doing mission work. They're making disciples. They're serving in a small group in student ministry. They're doing all these amazing things. I wish I was radical. I mean, they just sold their car. They just gave this away so that they could give it to the church or give it to someone. Wow, they are radical Christians. And the reason they're doing that is because they need a way to explain why their lives are not looking like Jesus's. They need a way to explain away the sin that they're struggling with. They need a, a way to explain why they are not on fire for the Lord as if they used to be. So these people, they, 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 have, they sin a little bit here and there, and they go to heaven when they, get, when they die. They're Christians. Let me tell you about chair three people. So we got chair one, disciple. We got chair two, Christian. We got chair three. We're going to call them the almost Christian. These are the people who Paul is talking about. They have an appearance of godliness, but their hearts and their lives have denied its power. So they look like Christians, talk like Christians, act like Christians, sometimes even behave like Christians. They may, may even have prayed a prayer. They may have raised their hand, walked it out, may have even been baptized. But when you look at their life, and you see what really goes on. They have denied the power of God. They're still stuck in their sin of alcoholism. They're still gossiping. They're still looking at pornography. They're still lusting after the girl at work. They're still going to the same places, hanging out with the same people, saying the exact same things as they used to. But... They have an appearance of godliness. And the thing about chair two and chair three people is they look really similar. And so it's kind of hard to determine which chair you're in sometimes because your lives kind of look similar. Like they're buddies. They roll to the same parties together. They do the exact same thing with their kids. They, they, they sleep in on Sunday mornings just like everybody else that they know because two and three, they're, they're, they're friends. But the difference between chair two and chair three is that chair two people have a real relationship with God and feel conviction. Chair three just has an appearance of godliness. And if people in chair three, if you're in chair three and you die here today, or you die tonight, you will spend an eternity apart from God in a real place called hell. That's why we say that the almost Christian is not a Christian. So let me tell you about people in chair four. So in chair one, we have a disciple. Chair two, Christian. Chair three, almost Christian. And chair four is an unbeliever. So these people do not believe that Jesus is God. They do not believe he rose from the grave. They may not even believe he was a real historical figure. They don't believe in organized religion, but here's what they do believe. They do believe that there's something more to this life. They may not believe in the God that we believe. They may not believe in a God at all, but they are looking and searching for something. And maybe there's some of those people who are searching for it. They've wound up here this morning. We're so glad that you are here. And here's what I know about people in chair four. The reason, or one of the reasons, the people in chair four 
do not want to become a Christian is because chair four looks at people in chair two and three and they look exactly the same. So why would I, an unbeliever, who's looking for something more, want to become a Christ follower when I see what happens in chair two, when I see what happens in chair three, and there's no difference, there's no power of God in their life? Why would they want to do that? They don't believe in Jesus. So I want to ask you, every single person today, what chair are you in? Are you a disciple? I hope you are. Are you just a Christian? You had a point in time in your life where you love the Lord more than you do right now? Are you an almost Christian? Well, the power of God has not changed your life. Let me just say something. I said it earlier. If you've never experienced change, you've never experienced Christ. You're in chair three. You in chair four. I want everybody right now to put that number in their mind. What chair are you in? Are you an almost Christian? Because here's the good news. Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, died a real death with a real Roman beating. He was hung on a real wooden cross with real nails that were driven into his hands and his feet, with real thorns that were plunged into his head, with a real spear that was shoved in his side, and his heart really stopped beating. But the good news of the gospel is that on the third day, Jesus really did come back from the grave. And if you accept him, you can find real hope, real forgiveness, real life, real encouragement, real joy. You don't have to be a fake Christian. You can be a real Christian. You can be a disciple today. So I want to challenge you in this moment. Stop denying the power of God in your life. Stop blocking it out. And accept the life-transforming power of the gospel today. Right now, in this room, death to life, no more almost. Today is your time. Because when we do this together as a church and we say, you know what? We're not going to sit in chair three. We're not going to sit in chair two. We're going to all move to chair one. It will change your life because I know it did for mine. I was addicted to pornography. I was addicted to myself. And I sat at a fall retreat in 2008 I was so good at cutting people down. I've always been able to talk in front of people, and I could cut you down so quickly to make myself look good, and I did a lot. But I knew everything about the Bible. I knew probably more than anybody in my class, anybody in my grade. I could tell you Bible verse. I could tell you the story of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. I knew theology. I knew doctrine. But my heart had denied the power of the gospel, and I sat in chair 
three there at that fall retreat in 2008. And if I died, I was going to hell. Then I met this guy in chair one. His name was Jordan. Jordan was an all-state defensive end. I was an underclassman. He was an upperclassman. Every person knew that this guy was a chair one guy. He didn't care what people thought about him. He was going to love the Lord whether everybody in the school did or he did. He was going to carry the same mentality, the same attitude, the same witness, whether he was on the field for the football or off the field. He did not care because he was chair one. And Jordan began to talk to me. And we're at that retreat. He began to pour his life into me. He began to make an impact in my life. And I was literally on my knees at this fall retreat. I didn't know what was going on. I knew God was speaking to me, but I was lost. I was in chair three. I was far from him. And I'm on my face praying, crying out, honestly trying to have an appearance of godliness. And I, Jordan got up from chair one, and I felt these two hands on my back. And I don't remember exactly what he said to me. I don't remember the exact words. But I remember this. He said, Landon, you have potential to lead for God. And he said it so bluntly. But potential is crap until you do something with it. That night, November 15th, 2008, I gave my life to Christ. And I moved from chair three to chair one. And I've never looked back. I watched my senior year of high school, a hundred people at my school give their lives to Christ. I've watched hundreds of people get baptized and saved here at this church through our ministry here. I watched 107 kids stand up to receive Christ this February in our student ministry. I'm just telling you, God will do more through one minute of you in chair one than a lifetime in chair three. What's stopping us? What's stopping you? Move to chair one today. Accept his power and give your life to Jesus today. Today. Right now. Bow your head with me. you say, Pastor Landon, I'm in chair three. I want everybody to remember nobody's leaving, nobody's getting up. Us and God. I want everybody to, to know exactly what chair you're in. Put that number in your mind again. You say, Pastor Landon, I'm in chair three or I'm in chair four. Here's what I want to invite you to do. I want to invite you to pray this prayer. Now, it is not the words that save you. This is not a magical chant. This is not something that is is just going to save you by saying it out loud. No, no, no. This is a heartfelt prayer to your Father who died for you, who loves you. And you simply ask Him to forgive you of your sins, and you give your life, you give all authority of your life to Him, and He saves you. He moves you from chair three to chair one. If you say, Landon, I'm in chair three, I'm in chair four, but I want to move to chair one, I'm going to invite you to pray this. You pray it with your heart directly to your Father. Say this directly to Him. God, I know that you love me. 
And I know you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross for me. Come into my life so that I might live for you. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God and I believe he rose again on the third day. Forgive me of my sins and save me today. With every head bow and every eye closed, if you prayed that prayer today to give your life to Jesus, would you just look up at me just so I can make eye contact with you for a second? Would you just look up Center section, I see that. It's amazing. Center section. Over here on your left, the left section. Is there anybody see that? Absolutely, man. Just keep looking up at me. Make sure I make eye contact with you. I see that. Anybody else? Make sure I see you. I see that. It's amazing. I see that. It's amazing. Come on. You keep looking. You keep looking. God's doing something. Don't miss this. Today. Today. Right now. I see that. Shake your head when I look at you. Make sure I see you. That's awesome. Anybody else in this section at all? Do I see somebody over there? It's amazing. I see that right back there. It's amazing. Keep looking at me. Keep looking at me. Right back here, I see that. Anybody in, the, in your right section over here, just look up at me right here. That's awesome. Praise God that you prayed that. Right here, praise God that you prayed that. Anybody else in the back over here that I'm, I'm missing? Just raise your hand if I missed you. Anybody? With everybody looking up, here's what I want to ask you to do. I ever. Their section leaders, if our section leaders could stand up for a moment. These section leaders, they're here to help lead you to Christ today and help show you what it means to follow Jesus. There were people looking at me all over this room. There are people crossing from death to life. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do, if you mean it. I want to ask you on the count of three to stand up in this room. I'm just telling you, this whole entire church is going to go nuts for you. Death to life. Today is your day. When you stand up, you're going to go to one of these section leaders, and they're going to lead you out of this room, and they're going to talk to you about what it means to receive Christ. They'll take you to care and prayer room. We'll hold your kids. We got your kids. Your kids are loved right now. Do not miss this. There's people who said, come on, make some noise for these people, church. Let's go ahead. This is your moment. Today. Today. Here we go. On the count of three, if you prayed that prayer, I want to invite you to stand up. One, this is the best decision you will ever make. Two, today you cross from death to life. Here it is. One, two, three. Stand up if you prayed that. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on.
There's still those who haven't stood yet. Come on. Yes. Anybody else? I want to invite you to move to your section leaders. Section leaders, come on as they're moving. Let's make let's make noise for them one more time. Hey church, in the first six months of our church in this year, that makes 200. Come on. Praise God. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for the life change and the hope that you brought this morning. May we as a church all move to chair one, Father. May we as a church decide to follow you like you intended. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everybody said amen. Let's stand and sing. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.